we went to a nursery and he found this purple plant that he loved and he's like can we take some of this and he legit stole the dead branches off the ground no i mean it was like on, it was like <laughs> falling on the ground da 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 da, da, da. <laughs> you wouldn't steal a plant <laughs> it was like falling on the ground like it would have literally just been thrown away i didn't like go in there with some scissors <laughs> that's awesome i thought you were just growing plants like independent of each other and you were bringing your purple plant over for show and tell and just like (laughs) letting it visit jordan for the day hey there i'm jordan and i'm nick we're just two regular guys who love talking about film and now we'd like to talk to you we decided to break down our discussions into three parts because everyone loves a gimmick we discuss our expectations for a film before we watch it that's take one We give our immediate thoughts following the film. That's take two. And finally, we research the film at length to prepare for an informed and in-depth discussion. And that's take three. So if you love film even half as much as we do, join in on the conversation. This is Take Three, a movie podcast. Take three. So this might be the longest production of a single episode that we have ever done. (laughs) Oh, that's for sure. Because... We uh, recorded take one on June 17th, take two on July 12th, and today is August 12th. (laughs) No. And it won't come out, this episode won't come out until like August 20th. So, uh, but we do know, or I guess some people don't know, Dakota, you were sick for a period of time and you are feeling better as, as you've told me, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling much better. It was really weird. Um, I, yes, I did get COVID, um, and, uh, I am fully vaccinated. And so I'm, I'm just in my mind, it seems like kind of a lot of people are getting it. Actually, my parents got it like, and they're fully vaccinated and stuff. So if you think you're sick with a cold, uh, just get tested in case, cause it doesn't feel like much if you're vaccinated. Absolutely. And still be super oh. careful, even if you're vaccinated, yeah. because it, you know, you are, were a special mm-hmm. breakthrough case and we always knew that you were special and that makes me <laughs> very happy that, yeah. My parents always knew I would break through somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Little did they know. But uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm feeling fine. It was really, it was very fast. Um, the only thing is, uh, yeah, my nose is still, I'm, I still can't really smell. I'm like at 50% like smell. But uh, yeah, we had to wait so long just because, you know, I'm using Daniel's equipment. So I you know, obviously I wanted to be as safe as possible to this household it makes complete sense and it's gonna be worth it well and scott pilgrim took like five years to be made it was a long long production (laughs) and and that was a perfect movie so uh this will be the perfect episode of take three amen i got really deep on the comic book side of it like brian brian leo malley is a really interesting guy i don't know how much how deep you guys got in on on that but maybe i can cover some of that if you guys have like some more i'm sure you guys have all the same movie stuff i have well so you you go wild when you feel like taking a break we'll jump in yeah so brian lee o'malley one of the like i guess first books he ever did or like comic books was a a series called lost at sea and i've never heard of it but i guess it's it's very similar like i looked it up and it's very similar like artistic style as scott pilgrim with that kind of like basic like kind of americanized anime style he's i guess he did his first comic book when he was nine years old and it was a transformers comic book with little pop-ups in it wow. um and uh yeah i thought that that was really sweet that's awesome 
while I'm thinking about it, I know because it was like one thing we were talking about last time is uh, so I found out more about what the books cover and like uh, and what the movie covers and stuff. I, I like I think that we were saying like we were trying to remember like first book one and two was like the movie. But no, it was nothing like that. It was I guess the the comic books were like being written at the same time, like as the script, essentially. And like mm-hmm. the ending was not written like while the movie was being produced so like there was a lot of and brian lee o'malley was like working with the writing team to like you know kind of make it how he wanted but he had like i guess it was like a whole he had a whole other vision for the ending and so like he had to make a lot of compromises it seems like but uh anyway we can get more into that stuff later as far i i want to get like more into like his like younger stuff i suppose it's really interesting like as far as like you know scott pilgrim has like a lot of the musical elements kind of something i didn't know is like i wanted to know like why just because he you know seeing him on the outside you wouldn't really know that he was such like big music fan unless you read scott pilgrim uh and i guess he started out like as a like creating posters and stuff for like underground bands in like the toronto area oh that's so cool yeah he is he is canadian scott pilgrim like the world of scott pilgrim like pretty much just seems to be kind of a commentary and like a satire of just his life in just growing up in canada as like a young 20 year old and uh yeah so he started same kind of like underground bands like it was no one huge it was just all these like underground kind of grunge punk you know kind of still like off coming off of that like 90s grunge scene you know was the early 2000s he uh really fell in love with his band called halifax which was like this all-female punk band super similar to sex bomb you know like that kind of style they have a song called scott pilgrim that was like the uh inspiration for the comic book like character and everything oh wow that's so cool yeah it was really nice and i had no idea about any of that um and just how like into he was actually like a part of this underground like weird you know local band scene uh and was like truly ingratiated into it so like the writings and that's why it's so relatable because like you know it makes as a person in a band and all that stuff like it was so i've said so many of those like you know no one like you don't think your band is good even if it is like <laughs> in your early 20s or anything you're just like hoping hoping your friends come like you never want to overhype it oh. um and it's just like he was just so good at like relating to the music scene and it, now i know why he was like fully that is awesome. you know, ingratiated in it himself growing i'm up. gonna pause you here can you yeah. tell me that that band again that they that sang the song scott pilgrim halifax i think it's h-a-l-i-f-a-x i heard it in a podcast form so i haven't seen it spelled I have that same fact, but it's under a different band, and I wonder... Ooh, fun, 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 fun. Let me see. Sorry to, like, grind this to a halt. No, it's okay. This is what we have to do. <laughs> yeah, as the, as the hub of misinformation. Yeah! Um, I don't... <laughs> I don't want you guys to get messages uh, on Twitter (laughs) from disgruntled writers. The Spice Girls released a song in 2006 called Scott Pilgrim, and that is what this movie is based on. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm going to put in there. I'm going to cut out all of y'all's dialogue, and that is going to be the group that released it. Okay, so here's, here's what I'm thinking is happening oh also i want to see my purple plant when you get a second oh it has so many roots oh my god it's like it's thriving it's thriving so well i propagated a purple plant this weekend it's thriving (laughs) and i left it there accidentally i left it at his house we went to a nursery and he found this purple plant that he loved and he's like can we take some of this and he legit stole the dead branches off the ground no i mean it was like it was like (laughs) falling on the ground (laughs) 
you wouldn't steal a plant. <laughs> it was like falling on the ground. Like it would have literally just been thrown away. I didn't like go in there with some scissors. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought you were just growing plants like independent of each other and you were bringing your purple plant over for show and tell and just like <laughs> letting it visit Jordan for the day. I am babysitting. Uh, yeah, he. we brought them. I put them in some water and they, they have tons of roots now. So they're doing great. Yeah. That's fantastic because I figured I was like, oh, because I was the one that wanted them to grow, they wouldn't. Watch. As soon as they get to your house, they're just going to die. <laughs> they're yeah. just going to completely die. Okay. So here's what I think is happening. Uh, the, the band that sang the song, Scott Pilgrim, is actually Plum Tree. And Plumtree is Ooh. from the city Halifax. Shut the fuck up in Nova shut Scotia, Canada. Up, Jordan. So Jordan, shut up. I was so nervous about that. <laughs> very, very close. No, no, it's okay. And I was like, wait a second, did I get that wrong? And I realized um, I couldn't have because they say that he he wears a Plumtree shirt in the show. Oh, you're so right. Oh my God, yes, I do remember. I remember this whole. I think I read the exact. I probably read the exact same thing as you, and I was just like, I was just speed writing notes or something, and I just mixed it. Totally fine. It would not be the first time on this podcast we got something wrong. It's it's. You're right at home. All right, let's just start this over at take one. Take one. <laughs> I like it. Okay, Dakota, you just take sit one. there for a minute, and we'll really? reintroduce you. No, okay. just I'll keep going. That's great. Uh, so yeah, Brian O'Malley, he started uh, like kind of creating posters for the underground band scene. He worked with a band. It's like an all-female punk band. I don't I don't know if you guys know that fact. I think I have the name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, cool. Let's do it again. You guys didn't like it? I mean, no, you let's let's like let's I I th- I appreciated that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I literally I was like, was okay, like, he's gonna <laughs> That was not my pl- that was not my plan. I was just like, oh, maybe they'll just follow along. I don't know. I'm sorry. I was like, what's happening? But I'm just okay. Cool. <laughs> we can do that. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dakota. We just just no. We figured out you don't have the name. We know you. Don't. I just want to make it clear. Like, none of this is getting edited out. <laughs> oh, I know. You guys are gonna have a two and a half hour episode, and it's gonna be fine. Anyway, I just I thought that that was really interesting. Um, it's very interesting. Just like the fact that he was, especially just, it's it's just nice to know that he really did live that kind of like real, you know, underground band scene, especially from back in that time because it was such a particular time for music. Now I'm just gonna like start going on a tangent about music, but just like and all the bands, I found out so many more bands that worked on this. Go thing. for it's it. It's not just Beck. Even though Be- Beck, yeah. Beck did do a lot. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's it was Beck was the music for Sex Bombs, for what I'm understanding. I think that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And there was and Metric, uh, which I I knew that band actually before, and I actually that song Black Sheep is do you, well. First of all, let's just lay it out there. Do you guys like? Have you heard the Metric version and the Brie Larson version? Yes. Do you have a preference? I mean, I mean. I mean, it's Maybe. probably Brie Larson's because I think it is, Maybe. and I do, <laughs> and I also do, and I'm. Which, of what song? Sure is, yeah. Like uh, the song that she sings? Yeah, the on stage. That, yeah. Hello. Yeah. Okay. Um. Hello, definitely. Again. Definitely her. I yeah. love. I love that song. It's uh, and I mean and like the metric one isn't even that different. There's just some like some sort of quality <laughs> about Brie Larson's like just performance in it is, that just brings out I don't know like a different level to it. It's really cool. Uh, and then 
Uh, I've never heard of this band, but they're called Broken Social Scene. And they did all of the uh, Crash and the Boys songs, which I don't think there's many, many in the movie. Um, maybe like half of one or something. I think Crash and the Boys was the, the first, first band. band that they... Yeah, yeah, the We Hate You, Please Die band. Yes. <laughs> ah, nice. And the, the So Sad band. <laughs> so, so sad. sad. <laughs> yeah. So Not a race, guys. <laughs> oh, my God. I could just do this whole movie. God damn. So anyway, Broken Social Scene got credited for So Sad. And <laughs> We Hate You. We really, really hate you. Uh, <laughs> they probably made like a million dollars. It's great. Yeah. It's like, that's a good for them. That was a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> and all those bands are very like of that time as well like they were they were all kind of coming up in like the i mean beck has been around for god at least i feels like my whole life and he's yeah he's still pumping out stuff that sticks with the zeitgeist man he just changes with the times and releases a new album that sounds like similar to what everyone <laughs> likes in that time um, when we went we went and saw beck one time ooh. um because actually we were more I think like interested in his opening act, which was Kimbra. Oh, I'm a massive Kimbra oh, fan. Cool. I love Kimbra so much. Yeah, and so we saw her, and she was good. Um, yeah, <laughs> but Beck was like unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they put on a show. It was yeah. him and 15 people standing yeah. up there with him. It was so cool because he usually play like he does all the instruments on his albums like for the most part or at least or in the early days like he would play everything i'm pretty sure like even now to this day like he just he pretty much records everything solo and just like does it all himself wow. in the studio and then obviously he has a band that like tours with him he's an impressive That's guy so cool yeah yeah and yeah. uh and you would never know from like the guy that sings like I'm a loser, baby. So why don't you kill me? <laughs> I remember re like realizing that that was Beck while he was playing it. And I almost had a stroke. I was like, oh my God, I love this song. I used to listen to the song when I was like 10 and had no idea what uh, soy un perdido meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he has a he has a bunch of crazy stuff and like his he just seems to be timeless but uh so anyway i just i like that they they chose to really find like bands that that kind of represented that time as well for sure before we move on going back to the plum tree thing that song scott pilgrim is actually in the movie it's right before scott gets home and reveals to wallace that he's dating dating a 17 year old it's like in the very beginning oh really and it's only like the first couple seconds but I looked it up. I looked up the song Scott Pilgrim. I'm like, oh, that's in the movie. I know that. And I had to like locate where it was. It's a catchy song too. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think there's like three yeah. lines. I think it's, I liked you for a uh, thousand <laughs> years, like eight times, but it's still, it's still fun. It's catchy in the it. same way that all the sex for bomb songs are catchy where it's just like, you know, it's just like they're fun and you know, you might only be able to like yep. listen to five of them at a time or something like maybe not <laughs> for like hours of it, but it's, you know, it's definitely a, uh, it, you you feel their emotion yeah and uh i guess it was just it was cool that uh i guess originally like music wasn't really going to be a part of the movie like from what i understand like in the early development of it as far as like original music and stuff like there was maybe going to be some you know a soundtrack obviously but having like these bands come in and work on it was kind of something that ended up coming in later that's awesome and uh and also on brian Lee O'Malley, I, I guess it makes sense like his he his music really like it comes out his love for music in the comic books too because i forgot like with when sex bobomb is like at band practice and stuff like there's cds and stuff that come with the comic book that you can like listen to and you can listen to the songs like while they're at band practice and there's like chord sheets that come with it so you can like learn the songs um, that's so awesome yeah i think it might come in like that new box they have like a six like all six box set or something that has like a bunch of special things in it 
so yeah. Oh, I do know. I do know that the uh, the people that were in the band had like a six week boot camp where they mm-hmm. basically like learned to perform together and stuff like that, and that they told Michael Sarah that he needed to dumb down his bass <laughs> uh, ability because right. he was too good, I guess. Yeah. To, I, don't, I don't know to fit in with them. So That's that was funny. pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I um apparently like Edgar Wright was real um jumping around, but Edgar Wright is was real like into the kind of practicality of this. Like I guess it was kind of during the time where green screen like 300 and like Sin City and like all those like big like green screen action films were kind of coming out mm-hmm. and uh he was like refusing to to do any of that like he wanted it to be very, you know, kind of like fast action and practical stunts and practical sets and you know more like the action looking more like anime style fast editing and movements and stuff and instead of the big like slow-mo like like bullets flying past your face like real you know matrix uh and same with the music you know he wanted all of the members to be practical and learn all the songs and like have everything you know look exactly right and uh, i guess from what i understand like everyone was pretty much a musician except for uh allison pill like had never picked up drumsticks and i guess the guy who played um who's the main the guitar player the main guitar player the talent styles, styles the talent yeah steven steven stills yeah steven stills or stills yeah, yeah that's steven it. stills yeah. um he uh that actor kind of was like the musician coach for like all the musicians that needed to learn like uh, how to play their instruments right and i guess allison pill was like yeah she she kind of took it the most coaching but she nails it i mean she looks great yeah you wouldn't be able to tell i mean they all look no definitely they all look natural too, yeah. And they're having like all all their characters like still come out as they're playing, you know. Like especially, I'm sure like that's why Michael Sarah's because Scott Scott's is like the most ridiculous. He's doing like the craziest mm-hmm. dances, and it's like it's almost iconic <laughs> for bass players now. Like the the Scott Pilgrim like little jumps and like weird like pigeon <laughs> pigeon toe like yeah like the yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bent knees and everything. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> it's making me really interested to to go back and kind of read all the the comic books and really get into brian leo malley's head more because he's he seems to be a really interesting guy for him i think like a, a lot of his for like the writing and stuff like i think he was talking about how like street fighter was kind of like one of his biggest influences which kind of oh, like, that makes sense yeah which makes a lot yeah. of sense for the seven evil exes did you guys hear like the story about like the seven evil x like influence or did you guys like read any, any of that the the seven evil mats or something like that from his wife yeah yes yeah i got yeah it was like his wife had like four ex-boyfriends named Matt. And so he like he like fantasized about a league of evil mats that he would have to. And I guess, there, I mean, there's a Matthew Patel to start. So there's at least a Matt. I don't know about, are there any other Matts? I don't think. This movie is filled with that type of yeah. shit. Like he references stuff left and right. It's, it's amazing. So crazy. And it's, it's not funny, but it is kind of funny that they, uh, they split up in 2014. Oh, so, uh, he is now an ex himself. Which oh, is, oh no, he's now which is sad. He's but. now Gideon. He's now <laughs> yeah. He's what's cool. Yeah. Um, he's blowing up right now. <laughs> like you said, referencing things like almost the entire comic book series is like pretty much just referencing his life, I guess. Like so, he says, like he said, he kind of like wrote this one with like his friends in mind and just like wanting to write something that made his friends specifically laugh. That's awesome. And it just kind of like ended up being this like big relatable thing, and he nailed it. I mean, I really just think that I think that a lot of it was just like him kind of really digging into being early twenties and like nailing it as far as just you know these people like you know and friends and stuff. And there's all these like people that was like, how do you live in this house? You know, like how do you live in this New York loft? 
um, you know, and you're affording it and you guys are doing They fine. just say the words rent control and yeah. we're just supposed to be like, oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, but these people are all like, you know, they're they're living in like real, you know, dingy kind of just like apartments. And uh, I guess like they're all based off of his like friends own apartments, like the place where they rehearsed was like his buddies, like little condo that they like partied in a lot. I guess Scott's house, like he used to live with another guy and they used to share a bed and he had a gay roommate, but it wasn't the one that he shared a bed with. <laughs> um, so yeah just like uh, he's just you know this in particular seems to be really like the um, recreation of his life in like this anime kind of style um, but yeah it's so that's I mean, awesome I think that's why it's so good you know he just connected to it on such a deep level definitely definitely well something that I have talked about in both takes of this episode is how disappointed I was <laughs> that this movie underperformed and didn't launch a franchise I know well now that I have refreshed myself on these numbers, here's your opportunity to be upset, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay, this movie had an $85 million budget. There's discrepancies in that. Uh, some people say 60 to 85, but normally when you are dealing with a budget and there's two numbers, the higher number is the, the more accurate one. Jeez. So it made $31 million domestic and $16 million international, which is $47 million worldwide. And Dakota, I, I you probably know this, but a movie kind of needs to make double its budget back to, to be able to break even because it splits a ton of that revenue with the theater chain. Mm. And uh, when you know when you have a big international box office, you have deals with each of those countries, and yeah. those can be different. So basically, all in all, this movie flopped. Yeah. And uh, what's okay? So. You can say the movie flopped financially, right? And that I totally agree with that, and I am upset. That is disappointing. But it does have an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes, an 84% audience score. So I do know that a lot of people really enjoyed this. I wonder, do you know if it's made its money back by now? So in the ancillary markets, a lot of times like movies with cult followings can turn a profit. Uh, this movie would have had to have made oh yeah I guess like forty a million lot dollars of money yeah so I mean we would need to have made another hundred and thirty million dollars mm-hmm. I don't think it's there yet but <laughs> I, I definitely think that there are I mean obviously there are uh, people still watching it today and maybe it'll get there eventually maybe he just made I'll watch it once or twice more <laughs> yeah. on Netflix just to get it up there you I know? wonder if since all these people are a plus listers now like at least like three-fourths of his cast that he was just like look guys like maybe just like pitch in you know like <laughs> everyone throws in a couple hundred thousand like we could get there you know every year yeah that would be I mean clearly he still found work I, it hasn't been as mainstream as I think it should be but you know, he doesn't have that mainstream of an aesthetic. Like, I think he's still sort of niche in some ways when as a director. Yeah. This feels probably the most mainstream. I, I feel like I've said that already. Well, but um, I think this is his first American studio film, isn't this? Edgar Wright's? That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm almost for sure that I read I read that somewhere. Um, And Jordan's giving that quizzical, I don't know, man. You're throwing it out. No, I'm no, just no. Kidding. <laughs> Um, I, I have i have nothing on that so that i totally yeah, believe well, you that's you could be lying to me sure because he did a lot of like you know the hot fuzz and uh sean of the dead and he had like you know a yeah. lot of those real british ties um and i guess i there's another thing that he did i think it was a show called spaced or spaced or mm. something like that which i 
which I guess was apparently just like the British version of Scott Pilgrim. Very <laughs> similar. So he was like, he jumped on like the opportunity right away. Cause it was just like, he said, I think he described it as like season three of, of space, like on crack. Like this is Scott Pilgrim. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see what that space movie is now or, or, or show rather. Um, and yeah, yeah, but from what I understand, this is, yeah, this is his first like major American studio film. And, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, so like on Rotten Tomatoes, there is a critic consensus. So one of the people that works at Rotten Tomatoes will take, will read all these reviews and sort of just make a a sentence that sometimes makes sense and sometimes it baffles me. This was written by one person about all of these different reviews. And I just want to read this to you because it baffles me. Its script may not be as dazzling as its eye-popping visuals, but Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is fast, funny, and inventive. What is wrong with its script? I think it has a fantastic script. So, from what I understand, and from what I get from, like, gleaning from things like that that I've read, uh, is that, like, people just didn't really vibe with how douchey a lot of the characters were. <laughs> like, you know, everyone was just kind of, like generally a flawed person and like not nice and like scott was kind of like the only like kind of bubbly one like and he still wasn't very but he was still kind of like he's still like the most kind of like bubbly and naive and everyone is kind of just like scott what the hell are you doing all the time so i I, from from what i read from other critics and stuff is just like they just didn't vibe with the characters and i think that that was probably like older critics just not really vibing with that mentality like that type of person you know that like beatnik kind of hipster crowd before hipster was cool you know like i feel like <laughs> and i don't know if if that's the sense that you guys got as well but I, and i understand that to a degree but i just think that what makes this movie so interesting is that there's literally not everyone is flawed like they're all flawed Mike, uh, you know, even Scott Pilgrim is like a pretty much a douchebag, like, you know, like for the most part, but he's just like working it out, you know, like everyone kind of sucks in their early 20s, you know, you just like you make mistakes and, and and you get better. Yeah, I really don't have any problems with the script. After I read that, I was combing through the movie in my head, searching for times where I wasn't like blown away by this film. It's so tight and concise, like the jokes are just like one after the other. Like, I really just think that the delivery and, like, the apathetic nature of all the characters just turned people off. You know, like, they just weren't even, like, listening to what they were saying. They were just like, can you just, can someone just be nice? Can someone, (laughs) can someone just not, like, roll their eyes when they're approached, you know, for once? But, you know, that's, (laughs) like, during my research, my my immediate uh, route, I guess, was to go right to, like, a character study until I realized that, like, yeah, you're right. Really, no one here is like they're they're all assholes especially scott and scott is a terrible terrible except for knives knives is like Um, the only one that's kind of like the pure everyone can hold on to knives (laughs) right uh which i guess he ends up with knives in the books i don't know if you guys knew that like that's like the whole thing yeah that was a that was considered to be one of the endings Mm -hmm. of the movie before it got changed yeah Yeah. and i I think i'm glad that it got changed well i I guess after she grows up (laughs) and it's legal (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the producers were, I, from what I understand about them changing that, it's just like the producers were like, all right, well, you know, in a two hour movie, like three fourths of it is him fighting for Ramona. So if he ends up with knives at the end, like what the fuck? <laughs> like what was all this movie for? Um, exactly. But I think to go back to the conversation about how like maybe that was the problem with it, I think that kind of it makes it relatable, but also 
like Ramon is not perfect either. She's struggling no. through her whole demons, like the whole movie. So she's it, very imperfect. Right. And it, it kind of makes that, that match make sense. And it, it, I don't know. Like it, it makes sense that they end up together. I don't disagree with the idea that like the thought that maybe people just didn't vibe with what these characters were saying and their apathetic nature and all that stuff. And, and that they had that every character had a problem with it, but like, there are so many movies that are fantastic and revered mm-hmm. where there's like no redeemable characters in it. Yeah. I mean, everybody's shitty. Right. And that like sometimes you don't have to relate specifically to a character, in my opinion, at least. I think I've probably told this story several times, but I had a screenwriting teacher that hated Pulp Fiction because there was no redeemable characters. Like, everybody was awful. I was just like, why does that matter? I don't know. Like, I don't, I'm not, like, approving of what they're doing. Yeah. I still just enjoy watching them. Anyway, anyway, this whole thing was just to bring up, I want to talk a little bit about the writer, and then I will hand it off to somebody. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. This is so cool. (laughs) All right. Well, okay, one of the writers, because Edgar Wright wrote this with a guy named Michael Bacall. Mm. Now... Not only was Michael Bacall a writer on both 21 and 22 Jump Street, which makes perfect sense because yeah. meta comedy is all over those movies, mm-hmm. but he was also Omar in Death Proof, Zimmerman in, uh, who's one of the bastards in Inglorious Bastards. Oh. <laughs> and get this. Okay. We just did Django. I'll send you guys pictures so you guys can see who it is. We just did Django. So, Smitty Bacall, who is the criminal on the bounty note that Schultz gives to Django mm. in Django Unchained. That picture that we see on the note is a sketch of Michael Bacall. What? Oh so God. he is like Smitty Bacall. <laughs> like he plays him basically, even though he's not in the movie. <laughs> this is so weird because I read that Edgar Wright also worked very closely with Tarantino. For the action sequences. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but also apparently it was Tarantino's idea to do that Pixel Universal logo. Mm-hmm. But like, I was surprised at how many times Tarantino came up in my research. It was weird that like they were connected yeah. so often. For he did movie. a lot more than I. I had no idea his hands were on it. And it, even still, like a lot of the action doesn't necessarily seem Tarantino, mm-hmm. uh, like classic Tarantino. But I guess like maybe if I go back and watch it, like thinking of Tarantino's like hand being in it, like maybe. It would look a little more Tarantino-esque. But uh, yeah, and I, I, the the one thing that I got from the research of Tarantino is that I guess uh, the the, uh, the actress, oh my gosh, what's her name, uh, that plays Ramona, my lord, Mary Louise. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah. Thank you. Um, is also in Death Proof. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I yep. guess there's a scene where like she takes off her boots or something and like there's like a real close up on her bare foot coming out of the boot. Mm-hmm. And and she's and they agreed upon for Quentin for Quentin. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. From what I understand. That's funny. My boy has a foot fetish, definitely. Uh, I sent you guys the pictures so you to for you to see who Omar is. Yes. Um they are friends, Edgar Wright and oh. uh Quentin Tarantino are friends. If Edgar Wright, as we've talked about, did a trailer for Quentin Tarantino's Grindhouse. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, but I just think it's awesome that Michael Bacall was in all of these movies as an actor, too. And he wrote this movie. Wow. Isn't that cool? Everybody give a hand for Nick. 
Give <laughs> him a round of applause. Great yes, job. amen. Thank you. Wait, I didn't hear any claps from you, Dakota. I saw you do <laughs> them, we, but I just didn't hear can them. Can we not do this right now? <laughs> can we not do this right now? He's never going to want to come back. Stop. <laughs> That's what I do. We secretly hate guest episodes, right. so I'm mean to everyone, so they'll never want to do it again. You make sure it's a one and done every time. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, this is such a great... It's Except okay. for the person that it should have been a one and done with. We gave him three episodes. <laughs> Shout out to Joe. We are talking about Quentin Tarantino. Fuck you, Joe. <laughs> oh. He said we talked about Quentin Tarantino too much. That's oh really? Yes. Whatever, Joe. Yeah. It's okay, yeah, Joe. Whatever, it. Joe. Sorry, Joe hates everything from what I understand. Yes, he does. Yes. Um yeah, okay. he's a lovely person, but he hates everything. I definitely know that guy. Uh that's so crazy. That is very interesting. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Uh I know that like as as far as like the uh the writing of this goes like do you guys know any more about like how Brian Leo Malley like factored in cuz it was real like it was real confusing cuz it was like it seemed like when the when the comic first was dropped like everyone like the first book everyone can kind of see that it was like going to be a hit and so like movie studios kind of jumped on it quick but he was like just this little like indie you know anime artist you know kind of like oh, wow. cartoonist and so I don't think it was till like, I think the third book came out that the first draft of the script was kind of like starting to get going. And so like, as, interesting. as like they were writing the, you know, progressing in the movie script and getting towards the ending, Brian Lee O'Malley was also rushing to try to like finish the series so that people didn't think that it was like, you know, the comic book series based off the movie. Um, and, yeah oh wow and uh i and like i guess you know they couldn't really agree on the ending much so i think his yeah his ending is way different but he still like tried to incorporate like aspects of it like i guess he like gideon's pyramid you know at the end is is all still there like that that cool and gideon saying i guess the only like few one of the few lines he kept in it was one Gideon's getting defeated and he's like you know how long it took me to put this all together two hours <laughs> two hours um and so yeah he just like he kept like little things uh just to like kind of nod nod towards the movie since like he knew he got a lot of fans from it um but that's good for the most part they like completely diverted i guess around like the third book but uh yeah the whole process of getting this thing put together was forever but i don't know when they actually like finished the script it seems like they had actors cast like years before they even shot it like some of them like i think from what I read, like Anna Kendrick hadn't really done anything Aubrey yet. Plaza. Aubrey Plaza hadn't done Parks and Rec or any of that yet. Like when she was cast, but like while they were waiting for the movie to like get going, like all of them were starting to become stars, like in their own right. Oh yeah, I have I have like a whole section about. Well, let's hit it. Each of these people. Well, I want to give Jordan. I I like so oh, yes. Jordan. It's I don't want to skip your turn. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I'm I'm realizing because I've kind of been jumping in this whole time that I don't think I'll get a section. I don't think I want a section because, as I said, I went into the character research and realized very quickly I did not want to do that. So I just have like a page and a half of like things you didn't know and like behind the scenes that I had no idea about yeah. and got so excited about. So I'll just kind of jump in and then the ones that I don't cover, I'll cover at the end. Okay. Gotcha. So I love it. you guys, you do your thing what's something about just like while we're kind of on like the writing of it all it was that i thought was cool was like it was a line from uh brian lee o'malley about how kind of the movie has like incorporates so many video game references and like they're kind of in like 
a pseudo video game world without it really being like explained for anything which was a big problem with the studio apparently i guess he kind of like went through life sometimes like not being able to remember if he did things in real life or if he did things in a video game like just because he played video games and read comic books so much that like he can't remember if the memories he has sometimes they're like they they get mixed up in what's real and what was something he did in the video game and so oh, that wow. that's why he kind of sees scott like in this pseudo video game world that's like unexplained because it's almost as if like scott is you know remembering that time as if he was being like a badass in a video game and <laughs> uh and you know that's what's that's what's coming out in the movie uh, instead of like That's reality cool. necessarily but the studio hated the fact that like all the fighting and everything was unexplained and uh like because everyone can kind of like just fight like you know seemingly out of nowhere like there's no reason scott should be like a badass you know kung fu fighter and uh that's why they had to like throw in the the ninja game like arcade game that him and knives play all the time just to show that you know these characters are like a little uh, above natural you know like because they're doing all that like fight choreography and yeah all that stuff so i think it was just the the studio's way of just like introducing the audience to like the fact that these people are like kind of fantastical and it's not just like completely out of nowhere but yeah i just thought that that was a cool explanation for why it's such a like unexplained video game world you know yeah that is very cool Okay, so like this movie obviously has a stellar cast and this movie being 11 years old, it would be interesting to look back at where some of the cast members were as you were talking about, um, you know, when this movie actually came out Uh, because like so many of them have gone on to do such notable work. So, okay, I'll start with Aubrey Plaza. She was, you know, still a pretty tertiary character in Parks and Rec when this movie came out. It was only in its second season. She really becomes like a main character, like as the series progresses. Oh, Brie Larson was only in her second season of United States of Terra and had only done some pretty low key TV work beforehand. Ooh. Like this is pre Jump Street, pre Room, obviously pre Captain Marvel. That was the first thing that introduced me to Brie Larson was United States of Terra. Such a good show. This so this fun. movie introduced me to almost everyone. I feel like, or really, I mean, at least like, and I feel like a lot of people feel that way, even though they may have seen stuff with these characters before. But totally, yeah, I just totally. I think this is the introduction to like even Chris Evans for me, even though like technically I saw him in Fantastic Four. Like I still feel like this is the movie I think of like really recognizing him. I think we are also, we were all around the age maybe where we started paying attention to like actors true. and things like that more Very true. at that time. I can remember like a, a distinct shift in my teens of when I started paying more attention and I got on IMDb more. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was looking up, you know, the cast of things and stuff. Um, Anna Kendrick was already on her third Twilight movie, Eclipse, because she's, she's in... Oh. She's in Twilight. Uh, <laughs> yes, she but, was. And she had also gotten an Oscar nomination what? for Best Supporting Actor for Up in the Air that same year. Oh. Up in the Air. Yeah. What? Up in the Air. It's with, um, uh, what the hell is his name? George Clooney. Up in the Air? Yeah, she got us. Uh, oh, weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. Very impressive. That is weird. Michael Sarah was already pretty big, too. I mean, he had yeah. done Superbad and Juno in 2007. Um, and arrested. Fun fact: He was like 
this movie was the it, Scott Pilgrim's role was made for yeah. him. There was no other alternate actor suggestion or choice. That it makes him from the well, like total so. sense. The other thing I read deeper into that was that um, Edgar, yeah, they, like Edgar Wright saw him in Arrested Development and like saw and you know saw him be like the douchey character that everyone still seems to like. And uh, thought, you know, he was perfect for Scott Pilgrim, but at the time he was too young, like to to kind of run with this like early 20s crowd. He kind of looked like he was in high school still. But by the time they were finally <laughs> he still looks like he's in high school. I know. But by the time they were like ready to shoot, finally, like since since development took so long, he was old enough by that time. And so that makes sense. They almost like held on to him, uh, held on to it for him. And he's good at that forbidden love stuff, because in in a. Uh in Arrested Development, he's in love with his cousin. <laughs> yeah. That is so yeah. Another, another call out to that show is, um, shit. Mae Whitman is also in. That yeah. Show. Oh. And plays his girlfriend. <laughs> That's oh, no awesome. Wow. Okay. May Whitman was creepy. a child actress. Like I adore May Whitman. She was, she's on one of my favorite episodes of friends. Oh, uh, I think you've seen it. Jordan, I know we watched this together. I don't know if you uh, watch Friends, Dakota, but she they was she uh, a Girl Ross, Scout or something? yes, Ross breaks her leg, <laughs> and uh, he has to sell Girl Scout cookies for her. Yes, <laughs> I love Mae Whitman. She was on Parenthood, and I she was my favorite character on that. She's also in that Good Girls show, yeah. which Whoa. surprised the hell out of me that I actually enjoyed. I, I, I saw the first few episodes of it. I was like, this is really funny. I really was surprised that I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, she's so damn funny. I'm so I'm so happy for her. Um, Brandon Routh was already, he had already been Superman. That was in 2006. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead was really hitting her prime in the late 2000s. Like she was in Live Free or Die Hard already. She was already in Final Destination Three. She was already in Sky High, Black Christmas. Uh, I mean, Sky High. That was <laughs> pinnacle. Fuck yeah, Ugh, Sky High. Oh my god. Fuck yeah, such a good movie. <laughs> As like a superhero, like a kid who always wanted superpowers, and like would ask everyone in my family, like, "What would your superpower be?" And like, as an adult, that still feels that way. Like. Uh, Jordan and I had lunch the other day and that was oh the topic God. of conversation. What would this person's <laughs> superpower be? That was, like, so I love that. that fucking movie, man. Yes. That was awesome. Oh, this is, um, th- okay. So Kieran Culkin had been in the home alone and the father of the bride series. Uh, but this is like, you know, one of his iconic roles. I do want to say though, I'm glad I researched this because I had always been curious which Culkin was in Succession, the HBO show. Mm. But I was like, because I, I know there's a bunch of Culkins, and I was like, I don't care. Uh, but now I know it's him, because I looked on his IMDb page. He's so and I, <laughs> I want to try that show someday. That seems like a good show. And he's a completely like unheralded character in the movie as well. I Like, all right, sorry. I mean, he's just like such a small part of the movie, but he's a huge, like everyone loves him. And like, he's such an iconic character in Scott Pilgrim. So funny. To the point, so, so to funny. the point where I guess, cause his character is pretty like small in the um, comic books, but I guess like since once the movie came out, like he became such a like hit that uh, I, I guess he's on the cover of like the fifth one or something like just him. He's oh, well. on the cover. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So he, he, his, uh, yeah, his role really shot up in the universe after the movie. Um, and I don't know, like, I'm trying to think back, like, I don't know, 
how progressive it is, but at least it was a gay character. It was just like a normal guy. I mean, certainly there are a lot of scenes that depict him as like, like less than uh, what our community needs (laughs) right now. But um, it's still like, I I still think that his character, like I like his character and I think it's cool that he's like the gay guy that, that is his friend. Yeah. Right. Right. That makes me happy. Um, Chris Evans, Captain America, had ar- hadn't debuted yet, but it had been shot, and he was obviously al- already uh, Johnny Storm. But he'd been in Losers, Push, Cellular, uh, like he was already an action star. So he's an action star playing an action star. Yeah. So that was like totally appropriate <laughs> for him. We weren't predicting anything with this movie. This movie was like, hey, let's cast a huge action star right now to play an action star. So that was very appropriate, but still like kind Um, of like not, I mean, I guess he was, he was blowing up, but you know, it wasn't like a, uh, gosh, I don't even know who's like a 2009 huge action star. Maybe it was Chris Evans. (laughs) I don't know. Well, no, (laughs) nobody, nobody could have predicted. Maybe some people could have, but how predict predicted how big, he would wind up being yeah, yeah, yeah. and how big the movies that he was in would wind up being. Absolutely. You know, these movies will never like, they'll never go away. They will always be in cinema culture for good, for better or for worse for right. some people, for better for me. But like, you know, it's iconic and I don't know that you could have seen that coming, but he was definitely a great choice for this character. Yeah. Definitely, it. definitely. Um, Allison Pill had already done Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, which is with Lindsay Lohan and Megan Fox. Ooh. And she done she was in Dan in Real Life with Steve Carell and Milk um, with Sean Penn oh. about Harvey Milk. So she had already done all of those. Uh, if you want to see something good with Allison Pill in it, there's a show called Them. Mm. And it's a it's oh. a it is yeah. I it doesn't have it doesn't have as satisfying of an ending as I want it to, but it's still really, really good. And Alison Pill plays this horrible woman, and so it's great, so man. good. She's a yeah. monster. I can't like it's 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 about a a, a black family that moves into mm. um, yes, I think it's like something Compton or something. But back then it was it was a very, very white neighborhood and a black family moving into a yeah. white neighborhood. And obviously all the white people are fucking assholes. Yeah. <laughs> of oh, course. Big shocker. Yeah. It really is cool. I'm surprised um, that milk uh, came out before this movie. That's surprising to me. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was just thinking about milk because the guy who wrote milk is married to Tom Daly, who just won his first gold medal in. Ooh. He wrote that? Yeah, he wrote Milk. Wow. Oh, my God. The guy who's married to him, not Tom Daly. Yeah. No, no, I know that. I didn't realize he married the writer. Wow, yeah. I think they're married. Gays can get married now, right? Eh. 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 But should they is the question, really. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's great. Jason Schwartzman had already done Darjeeling Limited and Fantastic Mr. Fox with Mm. Wes Anderson and Funny People with Judd Apatow. Mm. Um, Jason Schwartzman seems like, like he's, I was looking through and I'm like, 
the only things I know you from are this and like every Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, exactly. He's totally like found a niche for himself and he hasn't really broken past it or he has chosen not to. It seems like he's just having a good time doing those movies every once in a while. Speaking of Wes Anderson, that's a movie that totally succeeds with having all like apathetic characters for the most part. You know, what's wrong with their scripts? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But then, exactly. But then he I mean, covers it up with all his weird bubbly like sets and stuff like that and fun yeah. quirky editing. Those movies are definitely polarizing for some people. I've tried to show them to certain people. and uh, That's true. Oh, this is great. Someone has chosen Thursday night, August 12th, some sort of holiday to set off fucking fireworks outside my house right now. So there are fireworks. Like, I can hear them. So if you guys can hear them, it's because it's the holiday, August 12th. <laughs> it's firework day. It's ruined Nick's fucking recording day. Oh, my gosh. That was so funny. <laughs> Are they just constantly going? Yeah, I can't. lots of fun. Are they still going? Let's listen to the fireworks, everybody. They will. They will continue. I'm sure. They're, they're, you gotta like. They're not. You set a couple off, and then you gotta send the guy out there, like the dad out there, to, right. to light the match and and run back. And of course, there's breaks in between to drink the beer. And yeah, no, I get it. Absolutely. Oh my god! The most recent time that we had fireworks, we had this firework. I'm not kidding. This is so freaking weird. I can't even remember what holiday it was when my family shot off fireworks, and it had little parachutes that came down. What? Like they were literally parachutes that would get stuck in the trees. <laughs> oh my god! They can't. Like we were like, what is falling on us? Like dodging them and stuff. It was really weird. That's I, absurd. I don't know if you guys have ever seen parachute fireworks, but you shoot them up. It does light up, but then parachutes little. I just um, I imagine the little army men from Toy Story just like parachute totally, down. Yeah, totally. It, there aren't little army men on the end. How interesting. But that would have been dope if what, they were. What were they carrying yeah, wh- though? What were they parachuting down? I think they were. I think we deduced that they were like rocks. <laughs> maybe it's a safety thing maybe it's they didn't want rocks raining down on people so they put little parachutes on them i guess so i don't know why rocks were part of it at all but how bizarre whatever how bizarre bizarre. that's weird this is bizarre i cannot believe that johnny simmons who plays young neil had already played chip in jennifer's body Oh. oh wow I was obsessed with Chip in that movie. I bet you when I saw this movie, I did not recognize him as Chip. Interesting. That's also another one of my favorite parts is when he goes, young Neil, you will now and forever be known as Neil. (laughs) And then like just the face that he gets of just pure elation. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, sorry. One one liner. No, no, no. This is good. It's my last one. This is like really cute, I think. This is Ellen Wong, who played Knife Chow's first movie. Knives Chow, Knives. And I feel like it's still her only movie, just seeing like in in that (laughs) stage reading that I watched of them for that 10 year anniversary. Like I I think I mentioned this before, but like she literally seems like she runs like all the social media pages for Knives Chow. Like she is just (laughs) she had the she had wigs and stuff ready, like in her room. Like it was a whole it was a whole thing. Which good for her girl, do it. Well, to be honest with you, a lot of those actors don't you know, maybe not from this movie, but a lot of actors are in like one really cult favorite movie yeah. and aren't able to launch a huge career out of mm-hmm. it. So cons are so important for them Absolutely. and for fans. Like if you know somebody and it'll it'll eventually become safe again to go to cons. If you 
know somebody is coming that you like and they're coming to a con near you, go see them because like you are supporting them. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge deal for someone who, you know, was in a movie 10 years ago and hasn't really done much since to walk out into a room and be applauded. Sure. You know what I mean? Some people don't act forever, you know? I'm kind of surprised that Scott Pilgrim never kind of pulled the Tommy Wiseau room model where he just like shows up at independent theaters all he pretty much just tours with the movie and like he just yeah. and makes a ton of money i'm sure he sells it out every single night like you know like meets and greets with people like if i was just i would send out the guy that played matthew patel he was also the one that i don't think he's ever really done much else um and knives chow just let them just go out and on tour with the movie totally and just like make make up that 400 million it needs or whatever (laughs) (laughs) i just have one one little statement and somebody else can go about tommy Wiseau. it hit me like the other day i'm not even kidding today is thursday it probably hit me like monday i was like what if tommy Wiseau is faking it and he's just so weird because we are (laughs) like completely entranced by his weirdness. And this movie is just so bad on purpose because he knew that like making a movie, sure you can make like a, a mediocre movie and it gets forgotten. Uh, and, and most movies are mediocre. Yeah. You know what I mean? It takes a lot to make a really good movie, but he made like the worst movie ever made and <laughs> he's rich because of it. And like, I was like, man, that actually is a great idea just to like completely uh, have your public persona be that you are this lunatic person <laughs> who made this awful movie that you think is has such merit and you're going to tour with it. That's genius. I think at this me. point, at this point, if that was ever the case, it's not anymore. And he really is that guy now. Like, <laughs> like I don't like he is. So he is such a true, genuine man. Um, and like that movie, I think the reason it just is what it is, is because I mean, p- plenty of people have tried to make and like on on purpose movies that are bad, you know, um, intentionally bad. But just like when you when you do it with the kind of heart that he did, like not intending it to be bad, you know, it just, it just really translated to, um, you're right. You're right. I mean, but he as a person is such a, an, an enigma of a man that like, if that was truly I a character, love him. like even Larry, the cable guy has finally dropped it and show, like, guys, I'm, this is not really who I am. Like after 40 years, what, but, Are, what? You didn't know that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. So, yeah. If it was the case, it would be genius. But I do totally agree, and I love him. Right. Um. So I that was all of the characters that I looked up. If there were more that you were thinking of, um, I'm sorry. No, that's cool. Life's not fair. Uh, Jordan, do you have any more fun stuff? Boy, do I have some fun stuff. All Gosh, right. So much fun Let's stuff. Let's see. So much fun stuff. So every band in this movie is named after some kind of Nintendo game or Nintendo character. Uh, obviously, that, that just seems oh. correct. Ryan Lee O'Malley and his wife at the time actually make a cameo at Lee's Palace, Oh, which is super that fun. Is fun. Um, I don't think this is much of a secret, but there are exes like all over this movie. They're kind of hidden in plain sight. Uh, but during the fights of each ex, the corresponding number to each X is hidden like all throughout each scene. Um, for example, Lucas Lee has two X's on his belt. 
Uh, Todd Ingram, he wears this really uh, inconspicuous shirt with a three on it, but you have to look really hard to notice the three because it's, you know. Interesting. <laughs> that's a joke. Because it's like. That's what I thought. So I was just trying to. For some joke. reason in my head, it was a zero. And I was like, there's no way it was a three, right? <laughs> like, there's no way. But Fun fact, though. Uh, Scott wears a shirt that says zero and he drinks Coke Zero. Oh. I think that was because it was sort of like he's not an huh. X. He's, you know. Yeah, he's. Um, a prospect. Um, the nightclub that Roxy and Ramona fight in is just called four. It's just a big number four oh. uh, out front. That's so cool. That sounds. And this is this is interesting. The Katinage twins are their X is five and six, um, and they each have a five and a six stenciled into their cuffs. And apparently, when they turn up their volume, that scene when they're doing the band and they have those mm-hmm. knobs that that turn up. Mm-hmm. It goes to an 11, which is five and six, uh-huh. and also uh-huh. is a nod to Spinal oh, Tap, which I understood thanks to the ladies over at We Explained yeah. Movies. Uh-huh. I would not have connected that if it were not for them. So That's great. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the Pac-Man story is true. That is that is 100% a fact, which is cute. Paku Paku. Um, this blew my absolute fucking mind. All of the voiceovers, like all of the narrations and the, you know, the fight and the, all of the voiceovers, Bill Hader did those. I did did hear that. That is so cool. Yes. Like now I hear it. Now I understand. But I had no idea that that was him. Oh, I gotta, I gotta go watch the movie. I'm sorry. I, I read that in my research. I didn't hear it and go, oh, Bill Hader. Sorry, is what that's, I meant to say. Well, so now funny. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like net, like listening back, I'm like, duh, that's him. Obviously, <laughs> that's him. Oh my god. You would never think Bill Hader is the freaking voice of the the like arcade guy. You know, like right. That, yeah, that is really fun. Wow. Um, the actress that plays Knives is actually three years older than Scott, <laughs> which is funny. Good. Okay. Yeah. Good. That is, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, going back to your. Uh, that tidbit that you had about the blinking, that is very much yes. true that Edgar Wright encouraged them not to blink. That uh, is nuts. It is nuts. And I think he, the, he claims his intention was to make it, is to give it more of like an anime feel. Sure. Um, and Alison Pill was the champion, having only blinked once the entire movie. Obviously. Wow. She's so, she has one of the best faces, like deadpan faces. Yeah, she does. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. She, yeah, they don't like give her a lot to emote to other than like just being pissed off. Yeah. So I can understand how <laughs> she could be the, uh, she's got that like RBF. Yeah. Oh real yeah. Hard. Real good. <laughs> and this last one, it seems so simple, but this is something that, uh, I, of all the times that I've watched this movie, I've completely overlooked. I always thought that the opening credits ran far too long. Mm. Uh, to the point where every time I turned on the movie, I would automatically just skip them. I was like, these take forever. They don't need to be this long. But I never noticed this before. Each name that comes up, the graphic behind them, like, you know how it's like that graffiti yeah. kind of film uh-huh. craziness? Uh, the graphics behind them relate to the character that they're playing. So behind Anna Kendrick's name, you'll see a lot of those uh, like round coffee cup stains and splatters because oh she works at the coffee shop. Um, for Aubrey Plaza, there's those black bars ah. that go over her mouth. They're just yeah. like scattered all about in the background. For Mary Elizabeth Winstead, it's just a bunch of colors that change from like pink to blue to green to her kind hair. Of, you know, her hair. Have fun. Um, 
and it's it's for all of the actors and i i went back and pulled up the movie again just to watch it and i was like oh my god i don't think i'll ever skip this again like it's really really cool seeing what they did in the background wow. so if you ever watch it again that's something to pay attention to because it's really 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 cool. that's awesome. That awesome wow yeah cool so the only other thing that i had is uh as far as like fun things that i thought and also just kind of connecting to the musical theater side of all of it uh as uh, me and, and the girls are connected to or in theater and just in general uh is uh i guess edgar got a lot of can you sing are you a singer um it's you know i'm more of a straight actor like i like to do more like dramatic roles and honestly when uh when there's any singing in it it kind of takes me out of it um i, I believe that yeah. yes i'm a singer <laughs> uh <laughs> it's a uh so he was saying uh, how a lot of the um, like studio execs and, and people that kind of watched it at first were really mad. And I brought it up earlier about how the fighting kind of comes out of nowhere and then people just go back to it being normal, you know, and it's just like a jump back into it. And no one goes like Michael or uh, Scott, what the hell was that? Like, wh- what did you, yeah. what did you learn to, to fly kick? Um, and uh, he just, you know, he kind of describes it as like a, it's a, like a musical, you know, like you never question when, gene kelly breaks out into like a big tap number and then like i love that yeah and when he's done yeah. like you don't go like holy shit gene that was incredible you know like the movie just continues <laughs> on and like no one says That's anything so good and i thought that was so cool and i've never like heard like every it seems like pretty much anything that has fighting in it is like always like there's an explanation even if it's just like i've been working for the cia for 15 years you know like you don't you just assume that a cia member just was trained in fighting at some point um even though they don't really explain it but yeah this movie literally does nothing to explain the universe and uh i think that that is just such a cool like explanation because it's just what do you say to that you're like yeah i mean it's been going on since freaking 1910 you know like uh you can't you know some of the most classic things are the, that exact same formula so it was just cool to see it like put into a uh, a more of an action uh instead of a theater sense um and yeah i thought that was fun that was smart little edgar Absolutely. smart edgar <laughs> that is super cool i love that we were talking about earlier uh how edgar wright wanted to be very practical in the making of this movie and i saw this like little tidbit uh like an interview with uh visual effects supervisor fraser churchill Mm. and um he said that it was actually like pretty hard to achieve the style of this film Mm. um because it was like very high tech images with a very low fi feel he noted that uh, I'm going to just like read this quote. Yeah. Um, it says he noted that some of the work was more complex because of a shooting ethic that of rights. And he said that there always had to be a physical representation of any post-production effects saying that whenever the image flashes in the finished shots, every punch sword clash or something, those were actually flashes on set photo flash. Oh, bolts, wow. You know, uh, and then they would add this CG. Uh, when someone dies and bursts into coins, they, Empty buckets of silver mylar uh, would fall, so the actors would have something to wow. react to. So, like, I, li- I like the idea of rather than it all just being a bunch of CGI, like, oh, react to this thing that's not there. Um, because I know that a lot of times you you have to give actors like a a, an, a reference, like you know, an eye point, something to look sure. at. But this is, seems like it went the extra mile to not only have give the actors something to look at, but um, assist in like the lighting changes, like he said, with the flash bulbs and things like that. 
rather than having to create those digitally, they were already there. And all you really had to do was insert the CGI element on top of it in there. And how cool. Exactly. I thought that was really awesome. Yeah. Speaking of visual effects, at the Oscars, before you get down to the usual five nominations, there's often a short list of films, about like seven to ten of them, that get whittled down to the five. Mm. Scott Pilgrim was on that short list for Best Visual Effects at the 83rd Oscars, but it didn't end up getting a nomination. I have a list of what did, and I was hoping to get your thoughts on if it deserved to be there or not, you know? Yes. Uh, it was up against some juggernauts, so mm-hmm. I'll read them to you, okay? Inception won, well. <laughs> and that makes a lot of obvious sense. Like, I understand Inception yeah, that's a tough was one. a masterpiece when it comes to visual effects. Alice in Wonderland. Okay. The Disney one? Yeah, the first one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that is uh, one big visual effect. I mean, there's a ton yeah. of them. Right, I was going to say, like, there's nothing really to that but visual effects, you know? Yeah, I just I hated that movie. Like it was, it had great visual effects. I just oh, I see, like, oh, I liked the on. first one. You, I remember you made me like you made me go see the second one, and that one was awful. I remember being okay with the first. Oh, one. maybe maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Is the, the second, second one, one sucks, but the first one I thought was actually decent. I didn't mind the fir- huh. the first one. Sorry, go on. Um, Harry Potter's and the Deathly. Ho- Let me say that again. Harry Potter's <laughs> Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part One. Mm. Uh, I mean, okay. man, these are all just like almost like, well, yeah. I don't know how you don't nominate <laughs> some of these movies. Exactly. You know? Here's one that is very weird. Uh, Hereafter, which I'd never heard of. I it's don't. a Clint Eastwood directed film. Oh, come on. Uh, it has Matt Damon in it back when he was still saying fat. Great. Great. I mean, I don't even know. Like, I guess maybe, but I can't imagine that anything with Clint Eastwood as the director is like visually spectacular. I mean, that's just not really his bang. <laughs> it's not really his ball, you know, like he's more of totally. like a slice of life movie type thing. Like, I can't imagine there being too much. Yeah, I don't understand that one. That's that, that one was very strange. I think sometimes like the Academy wants to throw in like a smaller movie. Like I, I always see that when it comes to like the animated films you'll get like two disney movies and two dreamworks movies and then like right. a movie from a studio that we've never even heard of or yeah, maybe Norway like a, or something yeah yeah exactly <laughs> well geez scott pilgrim only made uh, look at how bad it flopped it's a small movie <laughs> <laughs> exactly, on, exactly. A bone. <laughs> and then and then jordan asked me the other day what my least favorite marvel movie was and i told him iron man 2 yeah, Iron Man two got a nomination for uh, best visual effects. I feel like everyone was still so. I mean, it's almost like Marvel, like what is just always they always have to throw a Marvel into it, don't they? Um, well, I even mean, back this was, then though, this was the third Marvel movie. Iron right. Man two, like it was just Iron Man and Hulk, so, so maybe it wasn't every, like huh. they weren't as far up Marvel's ass as. <laughs> We yeah, but are now, you know, weren't they kind of like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't really know if they were breaking any ground in like the in the visual effects field at that time. There's um, a very good possibility. I mean, I know that like one of my problems with Iron Man 2 is that uh, it, it just it's a bunch of I sound so old, but it just feels like a bunch of noise towards the end. It's just like sure. a ginormous fight sequence for a very long time that is just incoherent and I yeah. I get extremely bored. Not because I'm bored of fight sequences. I love them, but this one I just hate. So I think you guys know the one that I would take out, but 
Yeah, I mean that is a tough. It's definitely a tough one for sure. Um, let's let's pretend Hereafter's not there because I I'm guessing neither of you have seen that. Would you take out Alice in Wonderland, Harry Potter, Iron Man, or Inception? I would maybe. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> I would take out Iron Man. Oh, okay. You would take out Iron well, Man too. Okay. I, w- yeah. I would absolutely take out Iron Man, but I meant like just as a personal bias. But as far as uh, <laughs> as far as the Academy goes, I I pretty much understand every single one of those choices. I yeah, I would too. Yeah, but like it sucks. Except for hereafter, <laughs> I think like aside from the visual effects that uh, that aid in like the fighting of Scott Pilgrim, the visual effects that uh, are part of like the transitioning through the scenes, yeah, are so impressive. Things that are even done like in camera. I, I okay, so I I told myself I was not going to try to explain this shit uh, on a no video component podcast. Right. We are straight up audio. So uh, if you guys are interested in some of the uh, transition based or editing based videos that I found, please look in our. I will or look in you know where all the notes are and stuff. Uh, I will add some links for you guys to watch some really cool videos that I absolutely love. But I was like, how the fuck am I going to explain this? You know, I'm going to have to pull up a diagram or a visual aid. And I'm like, well, y'all can't see me. Yeah. Thank God, by the way. But, um, <laughs> and I love this movie and I'm glad you guys love it as much as I do. And I hope your listeners do too. Cause we have three hours of it now or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. First off, if you tune out because it's too long, bitch, we still got your listen. Uh-huh. Uh, Tell them. But, but I will say that, like, I think that people who are interested and would listen to our podcast would be fine listening to us talk for a long time. Sure. Like, they people people like hearing these kinds of facts and things like that, just like we do. Mm-hmm. And Scott Pilgrim um, fans are hardcore, so. Fuck yeah. yeah, fuck yeah! Hopefully, a lot of people enjoy this episode as much as I did. And I hope you guys did too. This was so fantastic. Dakota, even though it took about six and a half years to, yeah, to plan out and and create, we are so close to actually being able to release this episode. And when you guys hear this, this is the episode. It's here. We did it. Oh my gosh. It's been a hard secret to keep from Kaylee and Kimmy. There's been plenty of stuff I've wanted to reference in conversation. Uh, but uh, we've no, done it. Man. We've done it, and now we just have to hold off until you guys release it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, amen. Thank you uh, to Dakota for coming here and Thank talking with us. You've been incredible. Thank you so much to Daniel for uh, working with you to set it all up. Big shout out. Um, yes, and and to Courtney for amen. also keeping it a secret. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> exactly. That was my next one. Yeah, it's it's it is very tough, that's for sure. And I've I've had to catch myself multiple times and just like make sure my alarms don't go off near her that say like I've had to like code all of my like alarms to like record podcasts or do research. <laughs> uh, oh shit. Okay, here's one thing. Here's this like one thing. I watched it okay, it reminded me because I watched Shaun of the Dead again. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to put it on letterbox because I I was afraid that that would seem suspicious. Like <laughs> Maybe you would go on and watch Shaun of the Dead or something because we were doing a, a an Edgar Wright movie, nah. and I didn't want her to be like, "Well, why are they watching the same movie?" You know, she would she would have just thought that Daniel made you watch it because that's like his favorite uh, favorite trilogy. He loves those movies. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. 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 Okay. Well, I I, I can now um, 
post that I absolutely love that movie. <laughs> oh, good. But it's so good. Daniel will be excited um, too. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I loved it before, but I feel like I was able to appreciate it a little bit more now. But this is one cool thing that I noticed. And um, it happens at like the very beginning of the film. Wait, actually, hold on. Can I bring Daniel in for this? <laughs> if you want to, sure. <laughs> Did he not like it before? Nope. He hated it. He hated Shaun of the Dead? Yeah, he didn't like it at all. How did you hate Shaun of the Dead? It was shit. It was shit. I fucking hated it. <laughs> Why? What What about the it? The whole thing was just shit. Racist? No, it was so good. I love Shaun of the Dead. Racist? Okay, I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, I just wanted to point out something that I thought was really cool. At the, like, the very beginning of Shaun of the Dead, they're, they're like talking, uh, Simon Pegg is talking to his girlfriend, and they do that bit where... Uh, more and more people are suddenly like at the table. Like you real, like they're there, they're having this like one-on-one conversation and then they look over and they're like, how do you feel about this? And you realize that they're not alone. You know, I don't dislike David and die. I don't dislike you guys. Yeah. Like there's, you realize that there's much, there's many more people at the table or many more people around that are, they're not having this intimate conversation. And it reminded me of the part in, uh, Scott Pilgrim when like he pops out of the bed and then um Kieran Culkin <laughs> pops out of the bed and then like the other guy pops like the, and there's like four guys what is it Scott even. what is it other Scott yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know it, I just was like oh that's really cool like he did that twice and I just I really just like watched uh Shaun of the Dead the other day and I'm like hey that's really neat and it feels like a I don't know I I just I don't know why it's unfortunate that this is going to be like one of the last things that's said, but I still enjoyed it. And I, I still wanted to just bring it up and talk to you guys about it. Edgar Wright is just really talented. He's done some really awesome movies and uh, just keep supporting him. Go to cons, uh, look up Dakota and all of his musical yeah, abilities. Um, we're going to, you're going to do the outro. Yes. No, I know. Right? Is that you're cool with that? Yeah, but the only song that I'm licensed to do is the We Explain Movies intro. So I hope that's okay. Wait, what? <laughs> I wrote because I wrote the We Explain Movies little jingle in the beginning. Yeah, I know right. that's so cool. So I'm that's just amazing. And it's just gonna sing that as the outro. Well, yeah, it's the only song I'm licensed to do. I, I'm not gonna do the band stuff because I don't have the band. So I thought that this is probably the like easiest thing to just like translate to your show that just to be clear feel free to do that but we're not asking you to like perform we don't have to <laughs> oh i thought you were saying you wanted me tell to this start a joke i thought you were saying you wanted me to start doing a musical outro for you guys <laughs> no 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 <laughs> yes we do hold on though I, as you okay, guys so you're like all our right episodes. so we'll see you next week you're like i'm just going dakota has never listened to one of our episodes before okay yes i have so you know at the end of each episode somebody like comes up and is like hey thank you for listening to take three blah 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 so at the end of this one it'll be like hey i'm dakota uh, here's all the shit I do. Follow me here and this and that and this and that. But you can also do the boop, 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 boop. Well, boop I just, boop, boop. <laughs> just, whenever I think <laughs> outro, I'm just, I'm thinking, of, I just immediately go to music. But uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, well, I am Dakota. Thank you for listening. Uh, I am in a band called The Naked Eye. And, no, uh, not right now. 
I don't understand. <laughs> so, okay, okay. Tip, all right, here's, okay. After we finish the episode. Let's, goodbye, everyone. Yeah, goodbye. We are signing off. Oh. Thank you, Dakota. Everybody, okay, now go. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode and letting me gush about this movie with my two friends. Uh, Nick and Jordan do such a great job, so please continue to support the show however you can. Once again, my name is Dakota Ringer. I am in a band called The Naked Eye with the letter I. And you can find us all over Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, uh, pretty much anywhere you find music. I hope to be on again in the future very soon. But uh, until then, enjoy your day. And thanks for listening.